really grateful to have friends that are older than me, people that have gone before me, that have lived their lives, they've been around the block, they've seen a thing or two. It's encouraging to me when older people say to me, hey, this is important, I usually perk up because they've been around the block. And if an older person says to me, you know, that's not important, I try to pay attention because they've been around the block. When an older person says to me, now I've seen everything, I get a little like, oh boy, like what is this they're gonna say? I've seen everything now. When someone who's been around the block says, now I've seen everything, I pay attention. And it's like I'm showing them something on my iPhone, right? Like watch, I can control this drone. It's 100 feet above and it's looking at your bald spot. Look at it, it's right here. And they were born like after the depression or in World War II era and they're like, oh my gosh, now I've seen everything. Well, if you looked in the mirror, you could see that too. But we could use a drone and we could see your bald spot that way too. It's kind of fun. And when you say, now I've seen everything, you pay attention. Now, if an older person goes, now I've seen everything, now I can die. I can die in peace now because I've seen it all. That's like kind of unique and Different. It's usually because something is so special, so spectacular, that they're like, I've seen it all, and this is so good, I can die in peace. I've heard older people who've known their parents and their grandparents who've passed away, and then they're seeing their kids and their grandkids and their great-grandkids and their maybe great-great-grandkids, and they're seeing generations that have come and generations that go, and as an older person, they look at it and they go, now I've seen everything. I can die in peace. That's kind of holy. It's cool. If they see or long for something, pray for something their whole lives and hope to see some change in a family member, and they've prayed and longed and it happens, they go, now I can die at peace. We would do well as a culture. In modern America, we don't respect older people. We would do well to stop and slow down and listen to some of those in our senior class who are going to graduate soon and have experienced a lot in their lives that they could help guide us with and we could pay attention to. We'd be wise to listen to those who have gone before us. And when they're taken by surprise and when they have seen something they've never seen before and they go, but now I can die in peace, we should go, oh, that's important. Today, the story that we're going to look at in Luke chapter 2 has an older, wiser person who is a follower of God and righteous and respected, and they see something that they look at and they go, I've never seen this before, but now I can die. We should pay attention to Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 32. If you have your Bibles, open it up, follow online on on your app, on your phone, on a paper copy. We're going to read through a bunch of this account of an older, respected person who sees something in the baby Jesus that he goes, now I can die in peace. And we should pay attention to what he has to say. Now, as you get to Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 32, I want you to imagine the time you've held a baby. Have you held a baby before? You know, the moment where the neck is bobbing, right? We talked about that kind of holy moment where you're holding a baby, and it's sort of really incredibly special. Have you smelt a newborn baby? It's pretty extraordinary how cool 
a baby smells, of course, until that moment, it's extraordinarily bad when they have one of those, you know, diaper blowouts and you're like, whoa, that's extraordinary. It can go from extraordinary good to extraordinary bad with a baby really quick, right? We can all agree. But when you look at a baby and you see it and you go, I have so much hope for what this baby is going to become. Right, so you hold a baby and you go, I wonder what they're gonna sound like, I wonder what they're gonna look like, I wonder what they're gonna do in life. There's a lot of hope in looking at a baby, but there's not, um, it would probably be wrong to move from hope to, I trust this baby. It's like, I wanna hold this baby and have hope in what's to come, but do I look at a baby and go, now I trust this baby? Like, no, right? But the guy that we're gonna look at today, he trusted a baby. I mean, I think of uh, Mother Teresa. When she was born and her parents in 1910 held this little girl, were they able to see what she would become? I mean, they might have had hopes of what she would do, but there's no way they could think of all the ways she would change and revolutionize the world. And she's done so much, but you still wouldn't put your hope in baby Teresa. And yet this guy, an older respected man, holds a baby and goes, I put my trust in this baby and we would be wise to pay attention to what he has to say. God, please, now do your good work to cause us to see, remove every distraction and every deception. There is an evil one prowling, prowling around like a roaring lion looking to deceive and destroy. There are people within the sound of my voice on campus and online that are eager to hear from you and Satan wants to distract, deceive, and destroy. So God Almighty, please keep evil and distractions at bay that your sons and daughters can hear from you right now. Through your word, I pray in Christ's name, amen. The scene that we're going to look at this morning takes place within weeks of Jesus being born in Bethlehem in Judea. Luke chapter two, verse 25. Now there was a, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. We're gonna break this down piece by piece. An older man named Simeon, he's in the capital city, the center of Jewish worship. He is righteous and devout. That means he has a right relationship with God and he has a right relationship with people, which signals he's respected in his community. And it says he's devout. He's careful to do all that God wanted him to do. And the text says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's an interesting phrase consolation. Is the word console? When do you console someone? Right? When they're in pain or in grief. Why would the Jewish people need to be consoled? They're this relatively small ethnic group, Jewish people, people that reside in Israel, relatively small, and they've been bullied and dominated. They've been enslaved and exiled, scattered around the world. Currently, they live in Jerusalem. They're able to worship, but they're under Rome's thumb, and they're under heavy taxation, and their lives have been so fragile, so bullied, that at any moment, things could change. And so they're longing to be comforted. They have been chosen by God. 
that God would show his favor to them. And God says, I'll show my favor to you. You should walk with me. And the reason the people are under so much discomfort is because they have not followed God. And yet God has remained faithful to them and said, someday I'm going to send someone who's going to redeem you, rescue you, make things right. And they're waiting for that day, that comfort, that consolation. The day-to-day life of Jewish people, though, it's like the day-to-day life for you and me. They're raising families, and they're going to work, and they're doing their thing, and they're just living. And yeah, maybe they're under the Roman thumb, but they're not looking at that and going, that's going to change soon. They're longing for that to change, but they're just living their lives. And yet you have this one guy, Simeon, who is different. He is righteous, devout, and it says he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. You know, when A new video game gets released. People wait in line to get that video game. That's what Simeon's doing. He's waiting in line. He's not longing. He's beyond longing. He's waiting. Waiting. He's going to temple. He's worshiping. He's offering sacrifices. He's listening to prophecies of the Messiah. He's righteous, devoted. He's waiting in line for the consolation, the comfort of Israel. And it says the Holy Spirit is on him. That's a unique thing for this day and age that the writer speaks of. Because before Jesus lived, died, rose again, ascended, the Holy Spirit showing up and being on someone is really unique. This is the way that Luke is trying to tell us something unique about Simeon that there's something humble and something holy, so holy that God said, I'm gonna give you my spirit to rest on you, to guide you. And so Simeon is actively waiting for the Messiah. He's in line, verse 26 tells us why. It's been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So God in his providence made it clear He says, Simeon, before you die, you're going to get to put eyes on the one who's to come and fix everything. And Simeon has no idea what's happening, but the Spirit is on him. He's waiting in line. He's living his life, doing his normal rituals, going to the temple, sacrificing to God. And he doesn't know that just miles away, just weeks earlier, the baby is born. He doesn't know it, but he's about to meet him. Verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. This is a really cool scene. Simeon's respected, devout, By all the people, he goes to the temple. I mean, that morning he's eating his cornflakes. He's just doing his normal life. And the Spirit of God says to him, go to the temple today. And he goes to the temple. And in walks Mary and Joseph. Now, why are Mary and Joseph there? Well, Simeon is righteous and devout. Mary and Joseph are described as righteous and devout too. And although this whole birth scene has been supernatural, miraculous, to them, they've still been commanded by God when this child is a certain age, you need to go take him to the temple. So Mary and Joseph roll up on the table. I think they have Jesus in this really cool new stroller they got. And they're, they're pushing him through. They're walking into the temple. In comes Simeon. In comes Mary and Joseph. And this supernatural thing is about to take place. Simeon walks up to Mary and Joseph and says, can I hold your baby? He's so cute. Now, Use your imagination for a moment. If some guy comes up to you at church, 
old guy comes up to you in church and asks you to hold your newborn baby, you're creeped out, right? Like you're like, I'm not giving you my baby. But if this man is known in your church, respected in your church, loved in your church, and this respected godly man who knows you comes up and says, can I hold your baby? You go, yes, please. Here's my baby. And in this moment, there's something that takes place where Simeon looks at this baby and goes, he's here. This is him. And he bursts out, verse 29, sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. I can die. I've seen everything for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Ah, yes, I've seen it. And now I can die in peace. The Spirit of God has been working in this unique way, directing him to wait, assuring him you will see, and in rolls Mary and Joseph, and in this moment, he is able to recognize the Messiah. I, I wonder if Simeon remembers the prophecy that Isaiah says, beautiful words, Isaiah 60, the prophet says, I rise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. I mean, the prophet is describing the fact that over all humanity, there's a cloud of oppression. I mean, don't you feel it? Don't you see it? There's the sin and shame that we all experience, the tyranny, the injustice, the confusion. The difficulty, it's like a cloud, the prophet says, that's over all the peoples. We feel it, we know it. The prophets knew it back then, we know it today. There's a cloud of darkness over everything and everyone. Don't you think God sees it too? He sees the cloud of darkness and says, a light is going to come. And when the prophets speak about the light to come, they're not talking about some nebulous, transcendental light that's coming. The light. Look at the light. No. They're talking about a person who is the light, who brings the light, who brings hope. And this light is coming to push out the darkness, this baby would grow into a man who would roll up his sleeves and through his life and sacrifice change everything for everyone. And now Simeon's like, I, I see it. I, I can see him. This is hope. This is Messiah. And we would do well to listen to people who have been around the block and who have walked with God, and who see things that maybe make us scratch our head, we would do well to listen to Simeon and learn that Jesus' presence brings light to everyone and glory to Israel. Be wise to look at history that 2,000 years ago, Jesus showed up and changed everything. I mean, the medical, technological, scientific, artistic advancements in society based on people who have been changed by Jesus is phenomenal. The world historic changes 
by people when you pull back the curtain and find out why did they do that in medical, science, politics, art, music? Why did they do that? Oh, because Jesus changed their lives and they wanted to bring good and light and love. And that's happening historically. But I know for me, I grew up in a difficult home. My dad was really hard on me and told me I was worth nothing. The, what changed my life was the God of the universe pierced through that dark lie and told me I was worth something. So at a historic giant level and at a personal level, the light of Christ changes people. He has been doing it for 2,000 years. He's doing it now today in some of you. Do you see it and feel it? His presence changes everything. But it's important to note that Jesus emerges from Jewish ancestry, Jewish ethnicity. That's important because the Jewish people were chosen by God. They rebelled against God. God showed up and gave them a Messiah. And this Jewish nation has been despised, bullied, and it's been tried to eradicate them so many times. And here's why, 1 Corinthians 1, 27, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things in this world, the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. The Jewish people are a bullied small people, and yet out of them comes someone who changes everything so that no one can boast, not even a nation. So that no one can boast, but God gets all glory for rescuing his people. Verse 33, and the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. They're looking at Simeon holding this baby and talking about him, and they marveled. So encouraging, right? And it'd be nice if old Simeon would stop right there, but sometimes old people keep talking, right? And you're... Your son is the light of the world, happily ever after. We all like, yay. No, he keeps going, verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Yeah, Jesus is the light of the world, but just so you know, his presence will cause people to fall, and people to rise. This isn't happily ever after. There's something about the birth of this child that's not neutral. I mean, you read the Gospels. You look at Jesus' life. People either loved him or hated him. They either listened to him or wanted to silence him. There's no neutral ground, and that remains true today. You either follow him, seek him, try to understand him, or you try to run from him, silence him, get away from him. And what the Bible teaches throughout is that those who are proud and self-sufficient, to them, Jesus is a joke, right? Because if I have money, if I have health, if I have credentials, if I've got life going together for me, do I need anyone to rescue me? Like, I'm good. Like, I don't need you to pay for my bill. I got money to pay for the bill. That's how proud, self-righteous people look at Jesus. They go, what do I need someone to pay my bill for? I can do it my own. I'm smart, I'm capable, I'm wealthy, I'm strong. I don't need God. And if you don't want him, 
He's not going to force himself on you. He causes people that are self-righteous and proud to fall because they fall under God's judgment. But for those who are humble and meek and broken, who know they don't have it together, who can't solve their problems, who need comfort and help. Jesus says, come to me, all you're weary and heavy laden, and I'll lift that burden off you. That thing that's causing you to fall, I'll remove it, and when I remove it, you will rise. The Bible teaches from beginning to end that the proud fall and the humble rise. And Jesus does this. He does this for people. It's not neutral. He's either the light of the world, the glory of Israel, the savior of your heart, or he's not. You know, when Jesus dies on the cross, he falls under the wrath of God, under the judgment of God. For the sins of the world, he pays the price. And if you crawl under the shelter of Jesus, he shelters you from the wrath of God. But if you say what he did on the cross, the wrath that fell on him, I don't need that payment, then the wrath of God falls on you for your sin and your shame. And that's why Jesus is like, no, it fell on me already. Come under my shelter. Come to me and I will shelter you from that wrath. It had to be paid by someone and I took it on my shoulders so that you could go free, but you gotta come under my shelter, and if you come under my shelter, the judgment that fell on me will not fall on you. But if you don't come under my shelter, that judgment falls on you. And when the judgment of God fell on Jesus, he took it and rose again from the dead. And those who come under his shelter when you die, because it's not if you're going to die, it's when you're going to die, you too will rise with Christ when you fall under. And the payment's been poured out on him. The wrath is done, and you come under that shelter. Then you rise with him. And the appearance of Christ solves something that happens on the regular. You know, people talk about, do you believe in God? Well, I, I can't see God, so how can I believe in him? I can't hear God, so how can I know him? I, I can't, he's not real. Well, God solved that problem by sending Jesus, right? Because Jesus comes in flesh and blood, and there's no vagueness about what happened historically in Jesus. And so to see Jesus is to see the Father. To know Jesus is to know God the Father. To accept Jesus is to accept God the Father. To reject Jesus is to reject God the Father. He comes to planet Earth and he almost takes away the excuse, well, I can't see God, so why can't I follow him? Oh, you can see him. He shows up in real time and place and puts on display the love and the grace and the truth of God so that you can put your faith in him. But if you reject it, right? And so his presence causes people to rise and to fall. Now, now for Mary as a mom, this must be all so overwhelming and so exciting, right? Like she's seeing all this come to be and she's like excited about this, but overwhelmed by it. It's a kind of mixture of emotions and old Simeon's not finished yet. Oh, one more thing, Mary. Uh, please have a moment. Um, and Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. 
Thanks, Simeon. Like, could we stop with happily ever after? Could we stop with he'll cause many to rise and fall? Like, why do we have to get to me? Well, things get real personal because any parent knows that raising a child from infant to toddler to awkward teen to adult is painful and hard. There's ups and downs, goods and bads, right? Anybody knows that. But there's something about the language that Simeon uses here that goes beyond the normal pain of raising children. He uses violent language to foreshadow something grim. You know, there's going to be a day that Jesus is going to be treated with violence. He's going, weapons are going to be used against him. And Mary's going to have a front row seat to see it. And every blow that Jesus takes, she's going to feel. And you want to tell old Simeon, like, can you just not talk about that? And yet, Mary needs to understand this, and we need to understand it, that Jesus' presence gives us peace in the midst of the pain. You know, some want to talk about following God like if you put your trust in God, all your pain will go away. If you're under God's favor, you won't face difficulty. But Mary was highly favored by God. And Mary will have her soul pierced with a sword. I mean, this is really important to understand that the presence of Christ doesn't mean we won't experience pain. Last month when we were talking about Old Testament ways Jesus showed up, Pastor Brad was teaching about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember those guys who refused to bow down to their political leader? And because of that, they get thrown into a furnace. And I love what Brad said, that, that Jesus doesn't put the fire out for those guys. He joins them in the fire. And this is such an important lesson for us. But Simeon is holding baby Jesus. He knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is the one who all history points to as the hope of the world, the peace of the world. And in the midst of that, at the same time, there's going to be pain. His presence brings peace despite the pain. He's not your ticket out of hell. He's presence in your life now and forever. He's not your ticket out of pain. He's side by side with you through the pain. So if you're going through some major problem in your life, Jesus is present. Maybe you're going through a season of real joy. Jesus is present. Maybe you're going through a season of real darkness. Jesus is present. Maybe there's temptation like crazy. Jesus is present. Maybe you're doubting and you're so confused by all this. You've been walking with God and now you're deconstructing and your faith is kind of falling apart. Jesus is present. In all of it, he's present. In pain, in temptation, in loss. Literally dying. People that are dying right now. Where is Jesus? He's present. He's close. And when Jesus shows up, I'm learning that he says something. He says, hey, I'm here. And Joe, step there. Track with me for a minute. He says, I'm here. I'm here with you. Whatever you're going through, I'm right here. And I want you to step there. I'm right here. Where is Jesus? He's not some distant thought. He's not something mystical. He says, I show up in a manger. Meet me there. Let's start there. And then I walk to a cross. 
meet me there. And then I go to a tomb, meet me there. I am here, don't miss me. And he shows up on the pages of scripture. The scriptures teach us about who he is and what he's like. And so you're looking for him and you're like, where are you? He's not hiding, he's right at the manger, right at the cross, right at the empty tomb, and he's right in the pages of scripture saying, here I am, I'm not hiding. And when I recognize he's here, he whispers to me, step there. And I don't like that answer. I want him to show up and fix my problems. I want him to be a genie in a lamp that solves all my issues, heals all my diseases, fixes my finances, changes my relationships. He doesn't show up that way. He goes, step there, Joe, step there, not I'm gonna fix your anxiety for next week or next month. I'm gonna give you assurance about what happens next year or all the things you've made up in your mind of problems that you want me to fix and solve that you're anticipating or even hurts and hangups from the past. He says, I'm right here and I want you to step there. Think of Simeon for a moment, did you catch this? Simeon was this guy who was following God and God's spirit rested on him. And Simeon is eating his cornflakes one day and the spirit of God says, Go to temple today. Well, what, are you, what, what, what am I going to see there? Go to temple. Hey, Simeon, before you die, you're eating your cornflakes. Before you die, I'm going to make sure you see with your own eyes the Messiah. Well, when, when is it going to be? Just relax. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll guide you once. Hey, go to the temple. Well, what am I when, when? Just go to the temple. Hey, go over to that couple. What am I going to do? What are they going to say? How are they going to know I'm, who, who I am? Just go over to the couple. Hey, ask them. I know you're going to think you're like a creepy old guy, but ask them if you can hold the baby. Okay. And he holds the baby, and God's like, that's the one. Step by step. Then he says, he's the one. And then God says, now tell him he'll cause the rise and fall. Okay. And lean over to Mary and say, a sword's going to pierce your soul. Step by step, truth by truth, word by word, Jesus' presence guides us. We want it big and flashy. We want it supernatural. But step by step, moment by moment, he says, I'm here. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, I'm present. I'm right here. And I will show you how to step right there. No more. No less, step right there. Despite the pain, he will guide every step. So as I look at Christmas, and I think of all that happens in this little life, this little baby, just, just three quick things that I think can get practical. Recognize God's presence. Really, the stars in the sky are an accident? Really, the baby, baby, any baby, is random? No, God is present. He's all over the place. When you go hunting and you're sitting in a deer stand for 20 hours and you shoot nothing, but you feel and sense the goodness of creation and you hear the birds and you see the beauty and in that holy moment you realize God is present. He's real. This is not an accident. When you look at the Grand Canyon, you look at stars, you look at a baby, he is everywhere present, but if you don't want to see him, he will not barge into your life. He will not. He's a gentleman. He won't barge in. He wants you to invite him in. So open your eyes. Really, this baby that was born 2,000 years ago changed the world and we're still celebrating a fairy tale? 
I mean, maybe that's true for some, but that ain't true for me. I know he's the light of the world and I want to see him in my everyday life and welcome his comfort, right? He knows there's a cloud of darkness over your family. He knows the cloud of anxiety and fear that's over your life. He sees it and says, I want to comfort you. But you know what? You've been looking forward to the end of the day having that glass of wine. And you look forward to the weekends to drink and travel and flit off and have fun to seek comfort in the next wedding you're going to go to, the next vacation you're going to go on to, or the next time you can have seven beers with friends. And you see that as your comfort. Or the idyllic thought you have that when all your kids come home for Christmas and you play the music just right and the gifts are just right, that that will be your comfort. That when everything is at peace with my family and when I get things right with my kids, that that will be my comfort. And all those things are comforting, but that comfort flies away and doesn't rest. But Jesus wants to comfort you now and forever. And would we just listen to him? I mean, if he's present and he can comfort us, can we just try listening to him? And what do you mean by that? Like, husband, love your wife. Stop making excuses of why you don't love. Wife, submit to your husband. Respect him. This is what the Bible says. Stop making excuses. You're a parent, and I get this. You're like, I wish I never had my kids, because it's just hard, right? <laughs> That's not the answer. Love your children and sacrifice for them. Things are tough at work, Things are tough politically. Things are tough in culture. Things are hard. You're supposed to love. And if you can't do the little bit of love in your family or at work, and you want God to give you more information, more guidance, more instruction, no, obey the little things he's telling you to do that he whispers in your ear, do this, step here, Here's what I want from you. Do that quick little thing and watch how his peace and his presence comes, right? Recognize he's here. Welcome, seek, find his comfort and listen when he speaks. Would you pray with me? Your presence is real, Christ. It came in a way that... For us, 2,000 years later, we think sometimes this is a fairy tale, but the way I've seen history change and the way I've been changed as a man, I can't explain it except that you're alive. You remove shame. You empower change. A little baby, the Messiah, the hope, has the power to change every heart. And so you're listening to the sound of my voice right now and you don't know this Jesus. You don't have to say anything special. You just open your heart to him and you talk to him. Jesus, if you're real, if you're really loving, if you're really forgiving, would you love and forgive me? And with sincerity of heart, you say that to him. Watch what he's going to do. God, if there's anybody in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you yet, I pray they would bring your, their doubts to you. They bring your fears, bring their shadows, their anxiety, their addiction. Bring it all to you. You see the shadow, the cloud over them. 
and you want to bring light, the person of Christ, into that mess and bring peace into the chaos, light into the darkness. I pray that people right now would just call out to you and ask for your help and your forgiveness, rush into their hearts. God, for sons and daughters that have heard your voice and know who you are, help us to seek our comfort and joy in you in not cheap substitutes that promise but don't deliver or give temporary comfort but not lasting comfort. Help us to run to you, the source of true comfort and joy. May we obey you in the little things. You call us to be generous. You call us to be loving. You call us to be slow to anger and quick to listen. Help us to obey the little things. And we'll trust that you'll speak in bigger and greater ways. We love you. We need you. Amen.